I'm doing the thing that I do every time we have one of these wildly digressive nonsense opening conversations where I go, is is any of this usable? Uh-huh, I think it is. Is the, is any of this is there anything in here that i can salvage as like yeah this is exciting and interesting and relevant and if it's not you can just cut right here and get rid of all of that uninteresting irrelevant conversation and we just dive in to go to considered harmful <clears throat> uh, let's <laughs> I even said dive yes, in, yes, which is did. like I I need to stop. I've I've stopped actually putting the little bit in the thing. Yeah, yeah, because I say it too much. Well, and also because it's like if you can invoke it on command, ah. then that takes the power away from me. Then it's like Jimmy knows that if uh, when he does the splits, the band has to hit a little stab. <laughs> I like playing with that because then I can make you not do the edits that you might want to do because I can try to, like, predict them. Mm-hmm. Like, if I say, like, you might be tempted right there to put the, like, Hest censored sound, but you can't now because I just mentioned that you would do it. <laughs> are you a cretin or are you a liar? <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, considered harmful. Dykstra. Um, uh-huh. Why are we doing considered harmful? Ed's good Dykstra. You know, so, okay, this is a paper that, like, maybe... I have, like, kind of this original big list of papers that we could do. And this did make my list, but it kind of made it as a, like, anthology of all the Dykstra things, right? Because, like, Dykstra doesn't write, like, big, long papers. We got, like, The Humble Programmer and Go To Considered Harmful. Dykstra! Uh, I had one other one in here, I thought, but those at least two. I thought, like, okay, this is good, and kind of, like, more, like, advice column sort of papers, right? Like, there's uh, The Emperor's Old Clothes by C.A.R. Hoare as well, which is also, like, a Turing acceptance. I think The Humble Programmer is as well. I think it is useful to, like, look back at advice that people have given us, the way they conceptualize. Usually when they're giving advice, they're talking about the future in some way. They're giving, they're conceptualizing how they see the programming space. Uh, but Go To Consider Harmful is a little different. It's it's this very short paper, right? We're looking at, like, two columns here on one page and then, like, half a page of one call like half a column i don't know how to say this uh one page one column but it's half the column yeah if you didn't have all this formatting shenanigans it'd be like a page of text it's like a one pager yeah yeah it's it's pretty darn small in fact that i did learn the title was not even dykstra's title um it's like a, a note on go to or something like that was all he wrote it but the editor changed it to go to considered harmful it's good dystra oh uh, which is is interesting and apparently the considered harmful thing uh predates dystra but it was you know popularized by this paper in the the tech world but you know it's very it's a very constrained paper. It is just about a programming language feature. It's just about go-to with some little Dykstra-isms, you know, making fun of people every once in a while, which is, like, what he does. But I thought it would be fun to to do this paper. One, it's a short paper, and we haven't done anything anywhere near this short. Two, like, it kind of, you know, lets us have our own opinions on what's harmful. 
And if any paper influenced the future of programming more than GoTo considered harmful, Dijkstra. I'm not sure which paper it would be. Uh, okay, back that up. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> so in, in what ways did GoTo considered harmful? <laughs> which the actual, the full title thereof is... Uh, GoTo statement considered harmful. Oh, I thought it had a longer... Oh, it's just... Go-to statement considered harmful. I thought there was a longer title. In a way that sounds like a swear yes. word. I can yes. say it in the Dutch way. Yes. It's her dijkstra. <laughs> so go-to expression, totally fine. Yeah, I was going to say, like, it's, it's, you could just say statement considered harmful. And dijkstra! I'd be perfectly happy with that paper. <laughs> yeah, a go-to expression has to return the value... <laughs> So I I actually have to I have to to jump ahead slightly. Uh-huh. So the 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 thesis for this episode of the podcast is that Jimmy and I have our own lists of considered harmfuls that we're going to bring. That's good dice And um one of mine, I don't have them numbered, but let's say it's number 36 is uh statements considered harmful. Dykstra. That itself was a statement. I don't mean that meaning of statement. <laughs> I mean, a very specific meaning of statement. Uh, yeah, that should have made my list. I would agree with that one. But yeah, so go-to statement, consider harmful. You'll get all sorts of ones. I tried to look and see if there were any like really good ones we should throw in in this episode, other considered harmful essays. The letter O, considered harmful, was an obvious uh, suggestion because it supersedes go-to, considered harmful, because you can't write go-to if you don't have the letter O. So you don't even need go to considered harmful. So I thought that one was good. It's obviously a satire of the considered harmful genre. And then there's considered harmful, considered harmful. Uh, I just didn't like it. I'm going to be honest. It felt, I, I would agree almost potentially, even though we're doing this, with the statement considered harmful essays, considered harmful. But the way they defended it just felt very off to me. Very wrong. Yeah, it's entirely possible that another one of my considered harmfuls is a rebuttal to the considered harmful, considered harmfuls. It's a fucking dystra. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> considered it. harmful, considered harmful, considered harmful. It's a fucking dystra. Well, n- not 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 <laughs> not quite so elegantly put, um, uh, but yes. Uh, Something to that effect, yes. Okay. That one is another one of the, the hits of the considered harmful genre. It's a dystra. I'll, I'll just add in mine that was James Well John had 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 a better effect on the teacher considered harmful. Dykstra. <laughs> yeah. D- anything you do that brings you closer to Chomsky considered harmful. Dykstra. <laughs> uh, language considered harmful. Dykstra. Oh, actually, that would be a good one for me because I'm often ragging on on the use of the word language to describe things uh-huh. that should there probably go. be called systems or should. Or maybe the word language, we need to take that back and, and have it be broader than, than people usually, what people usually mean when they use that word. So Yeah, I've been reading a bunch of neo-American pragmatists on language, and you would probably like some of that stuff. But I'm trying to read neo ones who get rid of all the bad stuff, like the instrumental version of truth and all that garbage. Um, you like the version with lyrics? <laughs> <laughs> the version of truth with lyrics. 
<laughs> yes, I, I actually do. I'm not a big instrumental music fan. I listen to it occasionally if I need to focus and want to cut out background noise. But other than that, it's just not my jam. All right. Well, as the jam boy of this show, you uh, <laughs> you get to say what what jams are, are most jammable. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm also not a jam fan. You're not a fan of jam bands? Uh-huh. Yes. That's definitely what I mean. I like the occasional jam. I really like fig jam. I think fig jam's really good. Even though I'm not that big of a fan of figs. Me neither. Yeah. Yeah. But fig jam is tasty for some mm-hmm. reason. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> go to considered harmful man that hurts having so many stacks of tangent popped all at once it's just like <laughs> such a such a strange feeling to like close so many parentheses all at once that's gross anybody who would close so many parentheses all at once is uh is using a terrible language so uh-huh yes uh with that lacks a go-to statement so. mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. that's a way out of unbalanced parents just go to somewhere else in the program where the parens are balanced you know early lisps you didn't have to close the parens oh cool yeah they just assumed that like you could do the super paren hmm uh what? that closed all of yeah yeah really? i can't remember the uh, yeah i i can't remember which early list but there's an early list that has a super closing paren and it just closes all the parens above it that's amazing yeah that's that's <laughs> very good i like that no problems no notes <laughs> yeah it, it's like uh html and not closing your tags right? i was about to say i am an advocate of don't close your html tags that is the least surprising thing i've ever heard you say I mean, I, I don't, that's just your vibe. I also, I don't open body. Like my, my HTML of choice (laughs) doesn't open body because as soon as you hit an HTML element that is not valid for the head, the parser will just assume, okay, we're in body now. So, yeah, I, I can just imagine you, like if I had to apply stereotypes to you, that would be one does not close HTML tags, just a picture of you. And that's various statements around that would be one i'll give you another another uh html quick tip uh title that you put in your head to be like this is the thing that shows up in my uh in my tab bar uh-huh. uh go into your style sheet and set display block like title display block uh-huh. and then you've got double duty you've got something that sets the tab bar and shows up as the title of your page two in one uh very efficient html writing right there mm-hmm. uh, more more hot html tips from this uh from this super paren fan incoming <laughs> Considered harmful. (laughs) (laughs) Ivan's HTML advice. Adding that to the list. (laughs) Yeah. So I do want to cover the paper a little bit. Not just jump into our considered harmfuls. Cool. I'll go make a coffee and... uh... (laughs) (laughs) And and you you talk Uh, about this very short paper. uh Uh-huh. I mean, okay. I said that I think it's it's probably one of the most influential papers on the future of programming. And I think that's actually probably true. Maybe it was just a coincidence. Maybe this didn't have the influence. But, I mean, it's a very well-known paper. I think it does, right? This is, ultimately, this paper is an argument for structured programming, which is what every language since this paper came out has has been. I don't actually know what year this paper is. 68. 68. It's at the bottom of the paper. Yep. 1968. I mean, every language since then has been a structured programming language. And by this, we mean has if statements and procedures or functions or things like this instead of go to as like kind of the main organizational structure. 
I'm going to say every good language that has come out since 1968. Because there is, you know, Malborg and brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every, every language that's intended to be higher level than like machine code and is not a an SO-lang. Yeah, it's not a practical joke. There's a reason SO-langs like GoTo. Intercal, though, also did not have GoTo, which, you know... I considered a reference to this paper for sure. Like the, the mention of like, it doesn't have it. Which is why we have to do it. Because anytime we do a work that references some other work, we have to eventually do the work that was referenced. That's happened so much. Wow. We have a lot of works to do. Uh, yeah, but we got a lot of episodes yet to come. Uh, back us on Patreon <laughs> to ensure the future <laughs> of this podcast. Yes. Patreon.com slash future of coding. All right. So this is this argument, and we get a lot of, like, Dijkstra-isms in this, because it's not just an argument, it's also making fun of people, which, if you've read any Dijkstra, that's what he does. Half of it is just him dunking on somebody, even if they're not directly named or, like, this person. It's just, like, you know, like, it's the paper starts out, which is, is like, a note to the editor or whatever. For a number of years, I have been familiar with the observation that the quality of programmers is a decreasing function of the density of go-to statements and the programs they produce. Burned anybody who uses go-tos. The more go-tos you use, the worse you are. The at programming. worse you are. And, and he ultimately says that like he's convinced that you shouldn't have go-tos in anything except for plain old machine code. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably false. Uh, but I could modify it a little bit to say anything that humans are supposed to write other than machine code. Because like, I have intermediate representations in my compilers that use like a go-to statement because they should. Because that's a good idea. Was this before the time that intermediate representations would have been, been a thing? I mean, this is 68. Like, I feel like there had to have been an intermediate representation in some lisp. I just, I wonder if that's what, like... If if you're thinking of high level versus machine code as kind of like the two ends. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. They probably did just compile straight from, yeah, they probably did. Like, And I mean, I think he still would have accepted that caveat. Yes, exactly. Yep. The rest of the argument is about like how this becomes difficult to reason about. Oh, I have to put money in the swear jar. Oh, yeah, right. This, the, the reason about swear jar. I almost forgot that that existed. <laughs> uh, it didn't have a little stinger sound effect, and so it hasn't been burned into my, into my uh, editor subconscious. Uh, and I feel like there's, there's some bits in here that either you're going to dislike or absolutely love. Uh, oh, I think, I think you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so there's some things that are just like so awkwardly worded that I don't even want to read them because I know I'm going to be like, how do you do this? Like, there's this whole remark about... <sighs> Which one? I'll read it. I'll read it. Which one? Okay, read it. My first remark. It is the second paragraph. Do you want me to read the whole second paragraph or just that sentence? Uh, that sentence goes on for most of the whole paragraph. <laughs> <Okay>. So... <laughs> Let's see if I can do this in one without laughing. <laughs> okay. My first remark is that... Although the programmer's activity ends when he has constructed a correct program, the process taking place under control of his program is the true subject matter of his activity. 
For it is this process that has to accomplish the desired effect. It is this process that in its dynamic behavior has to satisfy the desired specifications. Yet once the program has been made, the making of the corresponding process is delegated to the machine. Look at you. Got it in one. Perfect. I retire undefeated. That That is such a hard sentence or two, I guess, to parse. Okay. You don't think so? Uh, I, I mean, I just read it perfectly on my first try. So <laughs> yeah, like, yeah it's, you read yeah. it perfectly. But what does it mean? Ivan, explain so it for us. It's, it's basically saying that there's a divide between when you are authoring the source text and then when the program executes. And that in that divide, there's going to be some interesting things to consider. And that's what the next paragraph begins to explore and i actually quite quite like the next paragraph so see that's what i thought you would i think you would quite like this yeah this next sentence should i jump ahead to this next paragraph did you have more you wanted to say about this weird no no no, that's fine yeah i think i I just wanted to kind of get us into you know what his argument is okay cool so let's jump ahead um (laughs) it's the literal next sentence (laughs) let's jump ahead let's go to paragraph two I mean, implicitly, every sequential statement that executes in order is, an, is like an implicit go-to to the next statement after that. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's one of those things where in some languages, some things are implicit and some languages, they're explicit and generally. No, you have an explicit go-to in most languages. It's the semicolon operator. Uh, what about like an open and curly brace? Or uh, or the the warm embrace of an opening paren with no super paren to come and shut down your party. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, is there an opening super paren? No, because that doesn't make sense. No, it totally does. Because then it would be you could put as many closing parens as you want, and they would be balanced against the opening super paren. But you could you couldn't have nested things. Why not? <laughs> you just, you wouldn't like, know how they nest. Well, it's it's you would just assume like you'd you'd say like max int is my level of nesting, and then every closing paren I get is decrementing the the level of nesting. But where does the start of each of the levels of nesting? I have plus I have super paren plus two three times five seven three nine minus four three two one. In three end parentheses. You want me to do this in my head? You want me to write lisp in my head? <laughs> my point is you can't, it's, it's ambiguous. There's no way to know. Okay, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Let's go into TLDRO. <laughs> this is going to be important. <laughs> this is, you're going to make this, you're going to make this tangent on a point you know is wrong. All right. So it's going to be, let's say plus one, two, and then we're going to close that. And then it's going to be, Oh yeah, because you don't have you don't have the ability to introduce any new function in that first position. Exactly. As soon as you close, okay, right, right, right. Now I see what you're uh-huh. saying. Uh huh. I had to look at it because you okay, see, okay, okay. My second remark. You weren't just being obstinate for fun, okay? Is that our intellectual powers are rather geared to master static relations, and that our powers to visualize processes evolving in time are relatively poorly developed. For this reason, we should do, as wise programmers aware of our limitations, our utmost to shorten the conceptual gap between the static program and the dynamic process to make the correspondence between the program spread out in text space and the process spread out in time as trivial as possible. And by extension, if you want me to write Lisp in my head, 
you know, that's that's folly. We should write Lisp on paper so I can actually look at the. Oh yeah, that's broken. Well, that's a static process of text, but yeah, but yet this I think is a quite succinct little argument here for visual programming, or at the very least, the design of of good quality representations. Yeah, and that. You know, you need you need something to make up for the fact that, yeah, computer execution uh, is a process in time and that we need something that we can look at and react against in order to understand that evolving process. Just trying to do it in our heads is, you know, it's it's doable up to a certain limit. And then you very quickly run into, well, I'm just visualizing something and I have no way of knowing if I'm visualizing the right thing or not. Yeah, or... You're visualizing nothing because you're me. And it's always wrong because not nothing is happening. Is it actually nothing or is it just something nebulous? How does that describe? I can, I can occasionally conjure up something nebulous with great effort. Hmm. But for the most, and when I'm, when I'm in a, a certain like, lucid dream state i can actually visualize something but in general i do not have okay i do not have like any internal vision in my head oh, i thought you were gonna say world <laughs> but i also can't recreate sounds other than my voice hmm. like if i think of like a trumpet playing it's me playing <laughs> making trumpet noises not a trumpet in your voice yeah 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 like i can't i can't actually hear reproduce sounds what and that includes like say like uh, somebody's voice talking or singing or something like that yeah i can't i cannot imagine anyone's voice other than like me doing an impression of somebody who's you know like morgan freeman or something hmm. did you catch them the most recent uh very bad wizards where they do a survey about uh things you can picture mentally Yes, yes, and I went and did that little thing, and I am on the very far spectrum of can't, like 99 percentile or something. Now I want to go do it, because I haven't done it. Yeah, Janice and I went and did that. It's a, it's a fun little survey, so for people who didn't listen to very much, it's a survey asking you a bunch of questions about your kind of mental life. Do you have an internal monologue? How do you picture things? And it's kind of putting you on the spectrum of how well you visualize things, how much you have an internal monologue. And it turns out that like one of the hosts of the, of very bad wizards does not have an internal monologue when he thought he did the whole time. He misunderstood what people meant by an internal monologue, meaning they hear language in their head, not just they have thoughts, right? I do have an internal monologue, um, but I do not have any visual components whatsoever to my thoughts. Now I can't find the link to the thing to do the yeah. thing. Yeah, it's, it takes a little bit of time. I don't think we need to do it on the podcast here. Um, you may not think that we need to. But. This is Very Bad Wizards uh, copy. Like, we're just going to do every reading they do from now on. <laughs> that would be a hilarious podcast idea. Just find a popular podcast and make a like non-parody copy of it. Yeah, yeah. Or just, like, do their topic every time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like... We're the, the very, very bad wizards. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. In some sense, we're like a, like a The Witness review podcast in that every episode we end up reviewing The Witness. I've mentioned it a few times. I'll, I'll, I, I've, I've put that on my I can't mention it list now. Uh, okay, wait, where's that list? It is The Witness Considered Harmful. Harmful. 
Dykstra. <laughs> Do you actually have a list? No, it's just in my head. Ah, oh, but you don't have anything in your head. We just established that. I have things in my head. I don't have images. I think this might be why you're opposed to the idea of thought stuff, is that you don't have thought stuff. Is that other people have something that they appreciate as like, this is a difference between my inner world and my outer world. And you exist in a pure outer world. Like you're the most present in the moment. I think I understand... I think I understand correctly. I don't think I'm wrong. I have found that people will would make mistakes in programs, and I wouldn't understand how they were making the mistake they were making. Like, it just didn't... I couldn't, you know, recreate the process of, like, why do you think this is true when it's clearly false? And I eventually realized it was a visual metaphor. That they were like it would be like a concurrent process or something, and they were visualizing uh, a representation of the program, and that visual metaphor was not quite accurate, and so they were like uh, concluding certain things based on using that heuristic, and so like I was like oh, and I, I've learned like when people are doing that, I can figure it out and be like oh you're visualizing it this way aren't you and they're like yes and so this follows and i'm like yeah no that's that's not how it works right like here's the problem with that visual metaphor but it took me so long to realize like oh this is where because usually i can like kind of you know see the flaws in reasoning but it was all on this metaphor of of visualizing it so i do have i probably have different kinds of errors i get to by not being able to visualize things that other people have shortcuts for I think the biggest error is that you're still like you're building a, a text editor instead of building a visual programming environment when really of all the people who should be building a visual programming environment or or am I doing both? <sighs> Do you have a text cursor in your programming environment? Then it is not visual programming. <laughs> uh, not. I only have a plugin that happens to have text in the actual code base proper there is no notion of a text editor. So one of my widgets in my system has text. One of the generals in my army happens to <laughs> commit abuses of human rights, but that's one of my generals. It's not my army. My army doesn't commit abuses of human rights. You would agree that any good uh, visual programming language should be, or any, sorry, not good, any general purpose visual programming language should be able to express a text editor, right? Not the good ones. Okay, yeah, but any general purpose one should be able to. So you know, I'm just building up to that. Eventually, you'll build a whole thing out of vision. No, I'm not. But I still do think uh, there's something good between text and graphics. Like, I think you have to marry the two together. And I do want to do that. Yeah, yeah. Where the hell are we? <laughs> <laughs> so we kind of stayed on topic-ish. Uh, you know, visual programming. We got right back to it, right? Like, if you want the... Tr the it says that there should be this correspondence between text and the execution, and it should be as trivial as possible. The most trivial is they're identical. Um, so I'm just putting it out there. That that would make sense. But, like, then we get this, like, we go from these two kind of high-level things, and then we get this, like, I, I don't know, this weird formalism in my mind. Nah, I dig it. I, I It doesn't... It, I, on the first read i was like okay where's this gonna go but i you know by the end of it it's like no this makes sense i dig this i mean it all makes sense it's like how do you know where you are in a program is really all that is being asked here right and but the way it's being asked 
it's just a little, uh, I don't know, it's a little obtuse, but I guess you need to do this, especially at the time, because, like, there's just a kind of a more formal attitude towards all of these things. But the basic idea is, like, there needs to be some coordinate system of where we are in our program, and the question is, how much information do we need to situate ourselves in that program and know where we are? Yeah, and also, where does that information come from? Is it static information that you can tell just from the artifact of the source text, or does it also depend on the execution of the program? Exactly. And as soon as you add GoTo, I think one of the things I never appreciated about GoTo, not using languages that had them, is like when you have a GoTo, like the state of your variables is even a, a big question. Right, because there isn't this like lexical scope. Like I was like, I always thought of go to as like, and now I'm going to a new lexical scope. It's just calling a function, but without a return or something. It's like no, like you're going to things, and the state of your variables just are what they are. And good luck. <laughs> and am I correct in understanding that a go to, you are jumping to a specific place in the program based on the evaluation. Like you're specifying like go to this address, but the address is not a static address. It's a dynamic address. It could be either, right? You can have a go to label. Yes. And label is just going to be a, a static address, but you could also have a go to this pointer. Yes, exactly. Yeah. My dog's asking to go out. Okay. Lemon break. <laughs> Lemon. She's outside laying down in the grass and then is going to ask to come back in. But if I try to make her come back in right now, then she's just going to keep going outside to lay down in the grass over and over again until I let her stay out. So it's like a lose-lose situation. That's okay. I, I don't mind the lemon breaks. The lemon breaks are nice. <laughs> they give me an opportunity to plug our Patreon. <laughs> uh, so yeah, this, this go-to makes... like. I think it makes every program harder to actually figure out like what's going on, right? Because you don't know the state of your variables. You, in order to know what the behavior of your program is, you have to know it's past execution. You have to know something about the dynamic properties of this thing. And so as you're reading code, you have to imagine all the possible ways you could have gotten to this point in order to really know what it's doing. And none of that information is local. Anybody anywhere could have done a go-to to your bit of code. And so you'll, you'll never really know what is possible in your program. 
And if you have something like a more structured system, you know, this if statement or whatever, it becomes very easy and direct. What is happening here? Yes, you depend on some local variables or global variables that are referred here, but the action is not at a distance, right? It's action that's immediate right in your program. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, it's a short paper, right? Like, it's, I mean, this is really about it, right? It's so we got, I'll read two little statements here that kind of summarize, I think, what his points are. The unbridled use of the go-to statement has an immediate consequence that it becomes terribly hard to find a meaningful set of coordinates in which to describe the process progress. And then... The go-to statement as it stands is just too primitive. It is too much an invitation to make a mess of one's program. Yeah. And I think as a, as a practice, uh, point taken. Like, we don't have go-tos anymore in most cases in any meaningful way. Like, it seems like this argument was successful. And yeah, it's like the, this is one of those cases where it's, it's become a meme, but it's a meme that, uh, like, people accept the, the truth of it. Or the, or at least they accept it at at face value. Like I don't know that there's a a um uh, like a contrarian you know movement out there that's saying actually go to is great. Let's bring it back. And even languages, I guess, like I said, every language didn't have it, but C was after this, and it has a go to statement, but it's used so rarely. All right, it is. You are not going to find many go tos in standard C code. Uh, I have seen them, and they're you know. Very particular uses, usually with comments on why they needed to go to in this example. I was looking at like the dtrace source code, and that was one. I found the one go to, I think, in the dtrace source code that was uh, the process of debugging some really complicated thing. And it was like, this this is the best way to deal with this weird case here. But, you know, it's a very non-standard practice. That would be something that I I am in no way prepared to imagine but it would be cool to hear somebody justify like here is a case where go to is actually the most elegant thing and here's why because i i i haven't the foggiest i mean have you ever thrown an exception sure they're just go to's uh okay they're a little bit more constrained yeah no they have a whole heap of semantics around them like like i don't think you can catch a go-to no so what you're doing with a throw is you're saying go to nearest catch statement you're saying stop the sequential execution of my program and go potentially in levels nested high that i have this catch statement but the the structure of catch statements is based on like the stack that you had to, you know, build up in order to get to the point where the exception was thrown. It's a dynamic process. It depends on how your code was run. I don't think so. I think it is, it's it's as static as function calls. Like this is just sort of like an early return, but that it's like a super return because you may not return just one level. You may return several levels, but it's... Well, no, you don't return at all. You don't return a value. Well, you return the exception. N- no, you you throw the exception... Right? There's a reason it's like throwing it out there. And if your code was called from different contexts, it will have different effects. But you're returning to the calling context when you do a throw. Which calling context? Not, you, not the function that immediately called you. 
not the function above them. It, it all depends on where in the stack of things an exception handler was registered. You're returning to the nearest compatible exception handler. Yeah, and so it's a dynamic property of how my code was called. I have to know the history of the calling patterns to know where it, where it was, where it's going to go. But that's no different than saying if I'm in some function, like before the exception was thrown, how I got to that function is a consequence of the dynamic process of the code's execution. Well, no. I know when I return that it is going to go to the immediate caller. I might not know who the immediate caller is, but I know it's going to go to the immediate caller. And when I throw an exception, it's going to go to one of the higher stack frames. Or just break. But with go to, it could go to conceivably any place. Uh Uh-huh. It is more constrained. It is more constrained. But if you try to do the kind of analysis that somebody like Dijkstra would want to do, there's a reason why like functional systems and things get rid of these is because they don't make pure functions right? Because you don't return something. And so like things get more complicated, right? Because not only are you, so like, yes, one, you're returning to a random place, but also the, the caller of you, all of the code underneath them, underneath the call to you is not going to be run, right? So you have no guarantee. That's why you have to have finally so that you could have nested scopes of these things so that you could run cleanup code in case somebody threw underneath you because now you won't do your cleanup. But that, to me, is no different than, like, you call some function and then you return a value from that function. And then after, you know, in the, in the parent context, in the calling context, after you get that return value, you have some if that's like, if the value that I returned is, you know, the token representing an error, then do an early return. Oh, it's very different. Imagine you have this, some, a bit of code, okay? So it's A equals some constant value, B equals a function call, right? C equals A plus B. And then I print out the result. I print out C. In a language without exceptions, you can look at that code, and let's assume it's typed, right, for a second. You, in a language without exceptions is typed, you can know exactly what, what kind of result is going to happen. It's going to print some integer. In a language with exceptions, you have no idea. Well, if it's typed, then the fact that the call can return an exception has to be part of the type. No. Otherwise, it's not a well-typed language. N- most... Like languages with exceptions don't all make a uh, a typed exception. In fact, it's considered bad form to do so. Java does, uh, but you can actually like escape that because you just declare your function also throws. You're you're th- what language are you thinking of with exceptions? Uh, I, I'm thinking of a hypothetical language where the exceptions are actually well done. <laughs> That's the problem. It's well, like, you, well, they're not exceptions. You're thinking of return values. You're thinking of result types. You're thinking of algebraic data types. That no, re- I'm thinking of like super returns. <laughs> super returns. Uh, <laughs> where it's like this, this function may return normally or it may super return some, some more powerful returnable thing. Or it returns a result type that is either okay or error, right? That's that's the new style of doing this. N- well, no, because it breaks the idea of a return only going up one level of the stack. This is something where it's like, 
it will keep going up until it and and but you see do you see the point that okay you can try to like let's say you you maybe you have in your mind an engineered system around it right that's fine maybe there is some way of making it work but if you don't have that engineered system around it oh totally yeah you can see how adding exceptions without some other thing constraining them even more makes it so that they're a mini form of go-to totally yes yes and in fact they require one of your things they require statements exceptions throw is a statement yes i don't think i can quibble with that that makes sense yeah yeah yep so that's that's what all of these things are interrelated right and so there's a reason a lot of more modern languages are not having exceptions because like the reason i know that they're basically go-tos is that's how you have to implement them mr compiler engineer over here knows how to actually build these things behind the scenes yeah 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 like it's 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 they're difficult right or or you can implement them as delimited continuations and blah 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 blah. delimited continuations are a great way to automatically do exception handling and you could see them as a better form of go-to because you can go to a point of execution with the variables intact and you can we probably will never do a paper on delimited continuations because that will make awful radio i i really just can't imagine that it will be good if somebody has a paper they're like no this is a very high level delimited continuation paper that just talks about the benefits maybe but doubtful yeah i think this is actually an interesting point which is that it's hard for us to do works that require a lot of visualization in order to appreciate the ideas and I think something like delimited continuations would be great if this were like a video essay or something like that, where we could have like graphics on the screen and examples that we could refer to. And because there's going to be a lot of context needed to kind of understand the examples that we would need to give. Yeah. And yeah, this is just not a good format for that sort of thing, as opposed to looser ideas about, you know, what should happen in the culture or reflections on some work in terms of you know how does it make us feel that sort of thing that's that's much more yeah. amenable to this format where not looking at something is actually a benefit if you're talking about feelings yeah like notations as a tool for thought by uh my brain doesn't let me remember that's a weird citation <laughs> uh <laughs> put that in bib text is a great example of like a paper that would be an obvious choice for this podcast in some ways it's a seminal paper it's you know, about programming, blah, blah, blah. But it's literally about notation. And like, we can't show that notation. And so like, what are we going to do? Just describe it every time that kind of like defeats the purpose. So it's definitely one of those things where you can't just pick like all of the canonical papers and be like, that works in this format. Which is a shame because the th- yeah. a lot of the things that I'm most passionate about are the things that least lend themselves to this audio medium. So that is our curse. That is our burden as podcasters. Future of coding. Okay. So we've gotten into like, there are other forms of go-to uh, that are more constrained, like exceptions, which was, I, I think, probably their goal. Like sometimes you want to exit out of a program and go to some other place in it but you want it to be more constrained than go-tos. But I'm curious on the non-go-to topics. Like, we got our list of considered harmful. It's Gadeister. I asked, like, 
three times if Ivan wants to share them, and he just ignored me every single time and never replied once. Uh, definitely didn't say he didn't care. Uh, but he definitely didn't share his list, so I have no idea what's on Ivan's list. And I have no idea what's on Jimmy's list. Uh, mine are not... I don't know. Like, I, I did... I'll admit, I kind of struggled with this in some ways, mostly because I think all my takes are boring. Yeah, me too. This is going to be so good. <laughs> right? Is, like, I was just like... This like, is going to be excellent, excellent content. But at the same time, I realized, like, um, every take I have, a lot of people disagree with it. And so, like, maybe I just find it boring because I've had these takes for so long. Yeah. Well, let's 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 try a couple of them and see how they go down. I can start because my first one is very i actually have two that i would pair together but they're very similar to the arguments for go to considered harmful extra and i think they kind of go hand in hand which is dependency injection which people absolutely love uh dependency injection considered harmful dykstra and i have kind of coupled with that interfaces in business apps considered harmful doofus <laughs> cool this is good so so First, I think that the thing that you need to do is define dependency injection so that we know exactly what flavor of that you are thinking about. So when you like have those dependencies and you inject them in, that part. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like, is it just the like, oh, hey, this thing that I'm depending on is being passed into me so that I don't have to reach out and get it from, you know, import it from some other module or something. It's part of my, you know, initialization as you pass in the thing I need. Or is it the automation of that where it's like, oh, we look at what you're taking and then we figure out what to give you based on that? Aha. Uh-huh. So this is part of why I put this one is like, one, I don't think anyone actually ever has a clear definition of dependency injection. And everyone, people will be like, if you think dependency injection is bad, then you can't pass arguments to your function. And like, it's like, no, that's not what I meant. Like, yes, I understand that passing arguments, quote unquote, is injecting a dependency. But like, I think really what this gets down to is dependencies when you're talking about dependency injections are like non-value objects almost every time. They're things that hold on to state. They're a service that is provided and they're being passed in instead of being explicitly created in the place they're used so that you can change out functionality. So why I say this is related to GoTo, that means you have no idea what your program actually does unless you know some history of the execution. This is some dependency that might do something at some point somewhere. And when you try to figure out what it's doing, you always have to be like, ah, what thing is this, right? Does it go and write to my log system? Does it go and do this thing? Is this in the scope of my bug that I need to go pay attention to this because it can change these things? And at the point of your program, you never know what it's doing. And I think this is very related to interfaces and business apps because almost always the reason people make interfaces is so they can dependency inject and then they end up making one implementation of that interface and then every single time you have to be like, wait, there's only one implementation of that interface so I know exactly what it's doing but for some reason it's on an interface boundary. And it's it, the, trying to deal with code that's written this way is just so incredibly frustrating to me. And people will come up with cool uses of dependency injection and will tell me, like, dependency injection is great. And, like, I get it. Of course there are uses. Of course there are cases where it's good, just like there are cases where go-to is good. But 
it should be considered harmful. Dijkstra! You should stop doing it. And if I have to read code that's like that ever again, I just, like, I've refactored code out like that. And it's just, like, for me personally, because I know it'll never be approved. And then I'm like, ah, oh, this code is readable again. It's so nice. So you're you're more of a fan of just have no module boundaries just put everything on uh like in a single global namespace and uh inside your function if you need something you just reach out and and grab it that's your that is uh well i don't think i don't see how namespaces are related to dependency injection i can have i can namespace things the the, i'm being facetious jimmy (laughs) i know but if you just take off that word then i agree oh (laughs) okay right like if, if you just say namespace things well and then if you need something just get them i'm like yeah i'm all for it right the only thing that i didn't like in that statement was namespaces okay all right or 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 the or the suggestion that we remove namespaces oh hold on yeah i have a new one all right on my list uh so you just reminded me no no namespaces are a great honking idea namespaces rule (laughs) from the zenf python great honking idea we should do more of them oh okay chunky bacon the Zen of Python is the best, not considered harmful, the Zen of Python. Extra. Fantastic. Hmm. It's my favorite state, like short little statement of how you ought to program. I, I haven't actually written any Python um, just because I refuse to use white space languages. Uh, that's fine. So in your terminal, type in either Python or Python 3, whichever. I, it's probably Python 3. And then import space this. Oh, cute. So you get a little poem, and this is kind of the guide of how they'd like to design things in Python. And the last line is, namespaces are one honking great idea. Let's do more of those. I think I've actually read this before. Even if you don't like Python, it's just great advice. All right, those are mine. I will stand, but I worked at a job. So just to be clear, I've written lots of dependency injection firmware. I even have, in my little 100 lines or less repo, I have a Java dependency injection auto-magical figure out based on the type what things should be injected framework in 100 lines or less, which was really enlightening. It's very, it's like 30 lines or something, even in Java. Um, I've written a lot of applications this way. I understand how to use it. I understand why you would use it. I still hate it. It's awful. Don't do it. Considered harmful. Dextra! You heard it here. My uh, my starting one. Uh, visual programming considered harmful. <laughs> this should come as no surprise to anybody who knows me and, and my particular proclivities um, that visual programming... This is going to be real short. Jimmy's was was nice and substantial. Mine is very simple. Um, I don't think there's been a single good visual programming system yet. I think they are all terrible. And I think that the problem with that is that it has led a lot of people to say visual programming is terrible and there has not been a single good one yet. And the unfortunate consequence of that is that they say it as a way of discouraging people from trying to uh, explore visual programming further. And that's a bad thing. I think, uh, yeah, I think we should be exploring visual programming more because nobody's made a good one yet. And so let's go make that good one. That's a weird considered harmful take. Yeah. Visual programming considered harmful because it's so good. Well, because it encourages people (laughs) to look at how not good it is yet Uh instead of looking at how good it could be. You have to go let Lemon in, don't you? Yes, I do. Yes, you do. (laughs) (sighs) (sighs) Lemon.
I put her favorite treat on the ground for when she comes in because this is the time she gets in. So she was like, she could see it and was, you know, very like, oh, wait, but I have to get that now. So, so the, uh, I've got, uh, three more (laughs) as follow-ups to this first one. Okay. Uh, the second one is, uh, textual programming's enduring effectiveness considered harmful in that if text programming weren't so good visual programming might have more of a chance and that you know text programming is so is so well established at this point and people are so comfortable with it and all the tools are so mature and we have wonderful things like git that we can you know really rely on and whenever somebody makes a visual programming system they're like oh, but how do you make it work with Git? And then, and you know, turn around and the same person's like, yeah, Git is the most horrible, awful tool and I hate it and it's bad and we should kill it as quickly as we can and get to something better. So yeah, all of this maturity of textual programming, it's harmful uh, because it's holding back the development of visual programming. I asked Ivan, I asked Ivan how weird his were going to be and he said not. No, but they're just they're just very normal takes. But instead of agreeing with the premise of considered harmful, he just reinterprets it to mean something else. <laughs> well, the premise of considered harmful is I've got something I want to complain about. <laughs> You're not actually saying don't do these things. <laughs> don't do textual programming. <laughs> Don't do visual programming. Don't do textual programming. Only do interpretive dance. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Don't do it. Interpretive dance considered harmful is the next one. Extra. I can see his screen now. What? <laughs> <laughs> I believed you. <laughs> Even though that's not the next one, you believed me. <laughs> Unless I really guessed it right. No, you did not really guess it right. <laughs> I just got scared for a minute. Uh, all right, I have two more of these that I have to get through, and then we can get back to the normal ones. Okay, okay, okay. okay. That's fine. Um, the third one is copilot considered harmful. Dijkstra. That's a reasonable take. Uh, because it makes textual programming. Oh, that, but your reasoning is going to be silly. Because it makes textual programming more comfortable, it makes textual programming nicer and easier to do, and so it further will make it difficult for visual programming to gain an edge on textual programming. Hold on, I want to pause on that one for a second. Okay, sure. Have you used Copilot? Yeah, uh, for like 10 minutes. I've used everything for like 10 minutes. Okay, so I've used it like a lot. Like I've used it in my day job, I've used it in side projects, I've used it in interviews, blah, blah, blah. And there are times where it is so nice. Right, And there are times where it is the most frustrating thing on the planet, and I want it to go away. But I've realized like the frustration of it is all UX, right? Like it's it's the way it's exposed, and it's the fact that like it overrides in VS code, it overrides like the real autocomplete. like they're they're on the same they're exposed the same way. Right. So I do think it will be really nice when someone makes a better user experience for it. but there's part of me that doesn't want to turn it off because like the times where it's so nice outweigh the times where it's so incredibly frustrating. And I hate writing boilerplate code, even though I almost put on my list hate of boilerplate considered harmful. Because I do think boilerplate code is good to exist. I just hate writing it. Wow. And Jimmy called mine weird. (laughs) 
<laughs> what? That's not weird. <laughs> Hate of boilerplate considered harmful. Dykstra. Yeah, that's not weird at all. Yeah, that's not weird at all. Uh-huh. Not one bit. Not weird like my, oh, visual programming, good, actually. Well, your reason, you're just taking, like, takes that are positive. Like, visual programming's great, textual programming's bad, and both making them considered harmful. Dykstra! Why not? <laughs> I can do it in a way that's consistent. And my th- my fourth and final one on, on this particular thread of exploration is that lack of diversity of thought considered harmful to Ivan's brand. Dextra. In that all I do is talk about visual programming. <laughs> I got one for you. All right. Yeah. Not talking about your side project on your podcast considered harmful. Dykstra. Hest. is great. I've worked on it. <laughs> Uh, not at all in about two years, other than thinking about it, but I'm still thinking about it a lot. Uh, okay. I do actually have that one listed down here. I think that's my weirdest one. Is, is not talking about your side project on your podcast considered considered harmful? Dykstra. (laughs) I put a lot of thought. Every one of my considered harmfuls is substantial. Dykstra. I have a lot of other ones that are good. They're not like little one-liners. Uh, Okay. I think this one just goes without saying, but of course, you know, the rest of everyone disagrees. Not everyone, but a lot of people. Agile considered harmful. That's her Viva Dijkstra. I think Agile is the worst thing that has happened to software development in a long time. And I know all these, like, uh, people who are advocates of Agile or who came before Agile will tell me I'm misunderstanding the history of blah, blah, blah. I'm not saying what came before was good. Right? I'm not saying that Agile wasn't better than what came before. I'm saying Agile has had absolutely horrible effects on the way we think about software. It is this, this meme that makes it so nobody can think in terms other than what the Agile terms are. Right, And so when you even try to criticize Agile, you can't even get the words out because people are like, well, you don't understand it or you're, you've only seen bad agile or that's not agile. And so it's not the concrete thing that I'm talking about. It is the meta way we talk about agile. That is the harmful thing because we can never point to concrete things because they're all this vague general here's, you know, values we hold that like, there's no way to show if you're holding that value or not. It is such bad discourse, and it stops us from being able to really talk about the problems in software because they always get couched in the bad agile terms that have defined the discourse forever. The further away I get from agile practices in the big A agile sense, the happier I am in my job. And the less I talk about agile practices, the better the practices end up being because they're not confused by all these silly ways that people have broken up the world. There's some strain of programmer culture that steers people towards these sorts of terrible discourses. And the one I'm also thinking of is type discipline. That's on mine. Ah, great. <laughs> now, is it, the, is it the discourse around types specifically that? Static versus dynamic types considered harmful. Thanks, So the fact that we're setting up this opposition at all 
is the considered harmful part. I can kind of appreciate why it is that we have these sorts of debates where we say, oh, well, if you don't like visual programming, that's just because you haven't thought enough about how good visual programming could be. You're only looking at the existing examples of visual programming, all of which are terrible. There's a lot of like goalpost moving. There's a lot of... Uh, no true Scotsman. There's a lot of like these sorts of dodges that just become the nature of conversation around these topics that keep us from engaging with the substantial, technically interesting, you know, grainy, detailed bits of the subject matter that should be the things that as as programmers, as people who like to explore systems and understand how they work, we should be compelled and inclined and attracted towards talking about that kind of stuff in a much more concrete, substantial way. And for whatever reason, this sort of like dogmatic, cultish mentality takes over so frequently. And I don't I don't get it, but I don't like it. Yeah, I think this is a, a real tough issue to try to convey to somebody because we want you set up these oppositions of like static versus dynamic type or agile versus waterfall or whatever, right? Everything is put into those boxes and all of the statements you make seem like you're arguing one side or the other. People will, whenever I have like my anti-agile discourse, they'll be like, you're just arguing for agile and you don't realize it. And I'm like, no, like this isn't, I'm not saying the things that people do in Agile are bad practices. I'm saying the whole way we've conceived the space is the wrong kind of way to conceive it, right? And the basis on which we decide for these practices by looking at the Agile Manifesto and seeing if they line up with these values or by looking at, by doing retrospectives to see how the team has been doing. And if we want to, like, I think all of that framing of the discussion is the wrong kind of framing because it already presupposes a bunch of values that I don't personally hold. It feels systematized in a way that maybe is what attracts people to it, at least in this specific case where it's like, there's a, like the culture is about encouraging something that maybe feels a bit like science or it feels like you get repeatability out of it or you get something that is dependable and that if you try and pull somebody away from looking at it just in terms of these same concepts that they like to lean on and say no don't just just lean into those concepts instead like try and unpack this a little bit and and think about in concrete terms what are we actually doing and why yeah it feels like it's at odds with that compulsion that we have to try and make things uh, like to try and take human factors and make them mechanical. You know, that's another one of those strains. I think the best like analogy I've been able to give for people, because I do think this comes back to like some paradigm shift and commensurability. I do think there's some stuff like that going on here. But it's like the stack overflow question uh, that I don't, I'm sure exists, which is like, how do you do inheritance in Haskell? Right. And answering that question literally is the wrong answer to that question. Right. Clearly something has gone wrong conceptually here, but like, these are the kinds of questions when you start learning a new paradigm, you know, programming paradigm, you start asking like, how do I do blank in this language or whatever? And it's like, you don't is the answer. Right. And it's like, it's not that, and they're like, but I, I know that tool and I need that tool. And that's the kind of like shift we need in concepts. So like, yeah, I, I, I think agile, has done more harm, and if I have to say concretely in terms that people would understand instead of just this meta discourse, I think it's 
we've given up the responsibility that we're supposed to have as programmers and made it part of this process or part of the system or part of product, which I also have on here. Uh, and, and that's the harm that's happened is we don't take the whole process of crafting software as a whole and instead try to break it into parts that it just can't be broken into. That was a good one. What, what about you? I want to hear some. You said you had uh, normal takes. Let's hear normal takes now. So this next one, this one could be interpreted as a joke, but it could also be interpreted as something kind of serious. And I'm, I'm interested to see where we go with this one. This one is called The Elder Generation Considered Harmful. Extra. Oh, wow. Alan Kay, Ted Nelson, Bill Atkinson, Ivan Sutherland, Tim Berners-Lee, Ed Catmull, Susan Kerr, Vince Cerf, Leslie Lampert, Noam Chomsky, Tony Hoare, Lynn Conway, Elizabeth Feinler, Donald Knuth, Ken Thompson, Bjorn Strustrup, Gerald Sussman, and Charles Babbage. These people are our living memory of the time before computers and how computers came into being and why they are the way they are and what we could or should have done differently. I put together that list of names and in trying to put together that list of names, found so many more people of that level of illustriousness who are now lost to the world and these people are still here. They still walk among us, <laughs> but only for so long. And that I, I, as somebody who came up pre-internet and remember a life using a computer to do all sorts of things before the internet, and then remember the advent of the internet and how that changed what I was able to do. I feel like that gives me an interesting feeling about computers, an interesting feeling about the way they are and how they work that I can only imagine is so much more intense for anybody who was alive before computers as we know them were even a thing and who participated in making them into what they are. And I don't know that this is like a thing that we can do anything about in the way that like GoTo considered harmful is like, well, just stop, <laughs> stop using GoTo. Thanks, if these people who are alive now and won't be alive forever would just not die like if they just stick around and continue to help us appreciate why computers are what they are then that'd be great but that's not an option and it's it's so this is more of a lament than a you know hey stop doing that okay hold on now i'm confused on what's considered harmful Extra. you just said that you would love for them to stick around how are they considered harmful? What's considered harmful is the fact that they are the elder generation, and that means they won't be here for long. <laughs> not that they themselves are harmful. It's like, I'm, I'm not saying these are bad people. <laughs> okay, hold on. So what I've learned here is Ivan did not want to say things are considered harmful. Dystra. So he made positive things be the things considered harmful Dijkstra. by saying like the lack of the fact that we don't have more like healthy food considered harmful because it's so expensive to get at the grocery store that you should eat more of it, but you don't. Dijkstra. Yeah, that, that's, that is exactly what I did. <laughs> that's not, I was like, oh, wow, look at this. He's going to be like, stop reading Alan Kay. Don't listen to Ted Nelson. Like, we, we venerate these people too much or something like that. But, you know, you're like, the fact that we don't have more of them yeah. is the harmful. That's why they are harmful. No, the, the, a property that they possess is harmful. They, as, as <laughs> they possess the property of 
dying. Yes. And that's the, the, the harmful part. Yes. I want these people who are our connection. Mortality considered harmful. It's fucking Dystra. Yes. That's, I, that's totally valid. That's, that's a reasonable considered harmful. Dystra. These are such weird ways of... I was like, I was like okay, this will be fun. But now I can see why you think it's a joke, because you don't, don't know what considered harmful means. Dystra. That no. makes sense. <laughs> no, 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 no. Using considered harmful to say the opposite of considered harmful, considered harmful. Dextra, dextra, dextra. A property of this thing that I wish they didn't have, but they do, uh, is harmful because it'd be better if they didn't have that property. This checks out. <laughs> Okay. All right. So, because I can buy the take. See, this is why I was I was confused. Because I can buy the take that, like, we rely too much on the takes of these pre-computer people. And that misinforms us on the world we have today, which is not a pre-computer age. And so, when we're imagining the use cases that people have, when we're imagining, like, what computers are for they're not in the context of a computerized world. So, I mean, I, I think one example was like, you know, modeling being a focus of what computers do rather than entertainment. Right. And we know now that like entertainment is a major component of this. And if we just ignore that and are like, well, people shouldn't be spending all their time being entertained. That might be the wrong sort of approach. It should be like, okay, how can we make that entertainment also fulfilling, not addicting, not, you know, whatever, right? Like you can imagine refocusing our efforts. So this is what I thought you were going to say is like, these people have undue influence on our thoughts and maybe, yes, we should know our history. Yes, we should think about it. But maybe like Aristotle might have had uh, pre- Newton, right? Like Aristotle considered harmful might have been a take because like his thought was so totalitarian in the minds of people that they couldn't imagine something outside of it. Extra. That take, I might, I might, I might, I don't know. I might buy, but people should stop dying. The interesting thing is not. Also Charles Babbage being on the list is like, like that was like a I knew, oh no, Charles Babbage and his big influence on pre-computing thought and how much I'd... Have you read Charles Babbage? Here I was thinking that that one got by without you catching it. Okay, I'm I'm glad that you caught that. Have you read Charles Babbage? Uh, I have not read Charles Babbage. Oh, I will find some excerpts of Charles Babbage. So uh, the reason you object to Charles Babbage being on that list is because he, he's uh, not as good. <laughs> Oh, no, because I don't think uh, I don't think you know what Charles Babbage actually wrote. Uh, okay. <laughs> so he published a, a series of treatises called the Bridgewater Treatises that have titles like On the Power, Wisdom, and Goodness of God as Manifested in the Adaptation of the External Nature of Moral and Intellectual Constitution of Man. Right, so like... This is not the right one. This is Thomas Chalmers? That's what they linked to from Wikipedia. Uh, oh, this was the series he was a part of. Okay, my bad. But it's still the kind of stuff. I'm thinking like Babbage of analytical engine fame. That Babbage. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's him. He, he wrote, like most of his writings were on, uh, on religion. Yeah, kind of like, a, like a Whitehead, right? Was it North? One of the two of them went like very kooky. Was it North? Was it North or Whitehead? I think it was Whitehead. What? 
Uh, like the two authors of Principia Mathematica. <laughs> yes, that's why I'm... Uh, who, who are the two authors? Uh, I thought it was um, somebody, somebody North and somebody, somebody Whitehead. It's Alfred North Whitehead. Oh my God. <laughs> and Bertrand Russell. <laughs> there we was go. Was it North or Whitehead? <laughs> North or Whitehead? That's that, I just, I'm sorry. I know that didn't make for great radio, but it was too good for me to pass up. <laughs> yes, yes, um, yes. Okay, Bertrand Russell. There we go. I, for some reason, Bertrand Russell in my mind is a playwright. Um, <laughs> all right, here you go. Here's, uh, here's Babbage. Uh, I finally found a, a good quote from the ninth Bridgewater treatise, not the other one, because uh, that was not his. <laughs> It is more consistent with the attributes of the deity to look upon miracles not as deviations from the laws assigned by the Almighty for the government of matter and mind, but as the exact fulfillment of a much more extensive laws than those that we suppose to exist. This is your new radio voice, Jimmy. This is how you have to read all quotes. This is a very good radio voice. That the contradictions that have imagined can... um, they have imagined those anyways like he wrote like about theology and like i'm pretty sure like the whole like getting all this computation was all in service of his like understanding the universe so he could understand god yeah whatever floats your boat (laughs) i just don't think anyone's influenced by babbage (laughs) in his writing he's also in that list of people who are our, our living memory of the time before computers babbage definitely number one most read Okay, so actually on uh, Considered Harmful Things, I'll throw out a bunch of random ones here that I don't think we need to talk about, but I want to state as my opinions. All right, cool. Bring out your dad. ORMs considered harmful. Code styles considered harmful. Wait a sec, code styles? What are code styles? I'm not familiar with that term. Uh, Like, we have a style guide. You should follow it like prettier or whatever i'm fine with automated tools that just like go and format stuff but like hey we can't merge your pr because you put two new lines instead of one and you oh this is where these things go now i have no problem saying like these are the conventions of a coding community like pep8 or something like that but individual companies being like we always format things do things exactly this way and if you name something with is versus that and that kind of thing it's good to teach junior developers to have reasonable code style when they don't indent their lines and stuff like that. Like, if that's the level we're talking about. But if it's, you know, good engineers who've been working for a while just disagreeing on some silly little stylistic thing, just let people do it differently. Who cares? Mm, I might take the under on this one. I think those discussions are just proxy wars over who's in charge. Yeah. But that's hard, considered harmful. Dystra. Um, so this is anytime you say you want to go build something and people are like, but why are you going to go build that? That's really hard to build. And X already exists. Why don't you use that instead? I think that attitude of like, I, I put out on Twitter a while ago that like I was building a text editor and someone was like, why? It's really hard to build a text editor. I was like, yeah, that's why I'm building one. That actually, can I can I jump to one of mine? Because I have almost the same thing, but with different words, which is DevX considered harmful. Extra. Mm. The notion that the choice that you make to do one thing or another should be driven at all by which one is the more ergonomic experience for the programmer, I think is um, wrongheaded. 
only because it has led us to this place where that is now so widely normalized that um, you get this whole culture of web developers, especially where they will only reach for tools like React or Tailwind or Vite or other things that are things that they could probably build themselves from scratch. And if they had built it themselves from scratch or had had engaged with things at a at a lower level instead of using some abstraction on an abstraction on an abstraction, they would build a better product. They would learn more in the process and they would have something that is probably more maintainable at the expense of maybe it not being so easy to hire new people and bring them in and get them going on the code base because it's in some form that that isn't like a, a de facto industry standard. And it's these de facto industry standards that are so much about developer ergonomics as opposed to making great products that I just find that harmful. That's an interesting takes on DevX. I I see it. I'm not disagreeing with it. But I think like, you know, maybe to, you know, play devil's advocate here, people would say, well, developer experience is just like we should make developers' lives easier and make it easier for them to implement things. And maybe people then take that as like, ah, oh, well, I just got to be like that other system. But that isn't in and of itself what DevX is about. I'm curious, like, if we take the, maybe the original or true definite, like, are you still opposed to developer experience making something, like, nice and ergonomic for developers? Or are you opposed to the kind of the industrializing of DevX. I guess I'm opposed to the wielding of DevX as a justification for making choices that are ultimately harmful to the product. Okay. Or that are ultimately harmful to the end user, where it's like, we're going to build this thing in this way, or we're going to choose this technology and our primary motiva- motivation for choosing it. And I, and I see this most reflected in the way that things are marketed to developers. Mm-hmm. They are marketed as, you know, this makes this thing that you do so much more convenient and so much more comfortable. And look at and, – and, and you can think of any n- number of recent examples. But the first time I saw this in a way that I think – it was maybe the beginning of the the bad times was the original angular js it it was this you know web development framework it was for making single page apps back before that term even existed i think it was around the the time that angular came on the scene you know pre react that that we started to think about oh hey uh, a web page can behave more like an application and the thing that angular put front and center as the like this is the reason you would choose this framework is because with two-way data binding you can put a period <laughs> in a in a certain place when you access a property of some javascript from your html you have some html attribute and you say you know my state dot value and you get two-way data binding and then you have you know if you put my state dot value in a text field and you put my state dot value is the text of a of a p tag hey if you type in the html input your p tag updates automatically and you didn't have to write any code to do that you just you know glue some properties together and it was this like front and centering of it being so ergonomic, coupled with the fact that if you actually learned Angular JS and actually invested in the framework, it was this horrible cobbled together <laughs> pile of misfitting systems and complexity mm. that did not scale at all. And that was incredibly miserable to use. But it was the beginning of how 
appealing can we make something look to developers being the thing that is front and center in the conversation? And I think DevX, like, yes, it means a lot of things and it, it means some positive things, but it also is used as a shorthand for, hey, if this thing is, you know, has good DevX. And it's familiar or convenient yeah. or. Yes. So when I think of the start of the modern DevX movement, I think of Rails. Sure. Uh, would you also lump that in in the same kind of category? Because, I mean, you know, what launched Rails was this, like, build a blog engine in 10 minutes or whatever. Yeah, build Twitter clone in five minutes, that whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you would still, you consider that all part of the same kind of, I'm just curious to understand your thoughts here, right? Because, like, yeah, I mean, I, I'd be happy to accept that as part of DevX. There's a certain kind of JavaScript DevX that I do feel like is distinctly JavaScript community. So I'm just curious if that's what you're reacting to or even things like Rails trying to make developer convenience. I mean, I, I would see this, uh, I see this also in like Swift and Apple's platform APIs and Swift UI and that sort of thing. Like it doesn't just have to be JavaScript. JavaScript certainly has a particularly nasty strain of this. Rails had a little bit of this also, not in Rails itself, but in the gem ecosystem that grew up around Rails where so much like devise and warden and uh all the different uh like simple form and factory girl back before they renamed and all these things were trying to advocate for build your rails SaaS service as a bunch of modules that you just plug together mm -hmm. and i think that that insofar as it discourages people from engaging substantially with like how do these things actually work in a fundamental way? What are the concepts that they are building on? It's, it's like you have learned to work only in terms of interfaces that are designed by people who don't have a holistic view of the thing they're building. Gotcha. My most recent one is Tailwind. I'm, I'm, I've, I do not like Tailwind. I think Tailwind is a, is a really nasty trade-off where it's like, hey, it will help you style a web page very quickly up front without having to learn CSS, without having to engage with design as a like considered process you can just kind of like bash these little classes into your html until you get something that looks roughly the way you like it to look and then what you are left with is this just miserable soup of html that i think is unmaintainable and is and is bad and if you had just slowed down a little bit and instead of racing ahead to try and build an mvp had slowed down and actually like designed a style sheet properly you would have a more maintainable nicer thing that you have built for yourself for the long run. So I have one on here that's, I think, in some ways, the opposite of what you're saying right now. Okay. So I have not invented here considered harmful. Extra. Oh, no, that's my whole thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, so, okay, I want to I wanna caveat this one and say that in your personal life and personal projects, not invented here... I can also say with uh, with Ivan's idiom of not invented here or of, of considered harmful actually being considered good. Extra. I'll say <laughs> not invented here, considered harmful because we don't have enough of it Extra. in your personal life. Uh, so like personal projects, I think uh, not invented here is great. Uh, in the business world, I I do think if you're, it depends on your context, but if you're on a team of people, not invented here stuff, like I want to recreate everything and I don't really have a good reason to do it other than I don't like the other things, it's usually awful to work with. 
Yes. And it makes everyone else's life miserable. You really should have a good reason to reinvent the wheel in your day job. This is why I was, uh, uh, like, interested in you picking Rails, because Rails is one of those, like, it's a good counter, because I think Rails is actually well-architected. Mm-hmm. And I think that it does allow you to engage with the things that it is abstracting in a useful way. Like it does lift you up a level, but it allows you to be conscious of the level that you have been lifted up from Mm -hmm. in a way that, like I think a lot of people who use, and I'm going to pick some more on Tailwind, a lot of people who use things that are meant to stop you from writing a style sheet those things are meant to save you from having to learn how to do CSS. Mm-hmm. Whereas I don't think Rails is trying to save you from having to learn how like HTTP works mm-hmm. or how web security works or how databases work. I think it is. Yeah. That, and that's, that's why ORM considered harmful is one of my things here. Yikes. And I think everybody's like, yeah, active record was probably the wrong way for Rails to go. Active record is definitely like, I think one of the weak spots of Rails. I, I think I see where you're coming from. I, I do think I would. St- I do think we have different stances on not invented here because from everything I've heard, you have invented a lot of a lot of things for business applications, like your own module system and staying on CoffeeScript as a CoffeeScript dead ender. Staying on CoffeeScript is not something I invented. There's dozens of us. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but like you recreate a bunch of things because you're staying on CoffeeScript. Only because CoffeeScript makes it nicer to recreate those things than to use the awful, inconsistent, slow, weird things that have actually been hacked into JavaScript over the last decade. Like TC39 and and the pressures that in particular people at Google have subjected them to. It's like there's negative externalities of it on the long-term future of the web that worry me. I get you. So here's my next take that I almost didn't include because it's just like such a basic hipster uh, take, which is, oh, oh, considered harmful. Dexter. Yeah. I don't think I need to rehearse arguments against OO. And I know that obviously there's a uh, sizable portion of our audience that are like, but small talk, maybe. But OO still considered harmful. It's good Wait a wait a minute, wait a minute. Do you just want to drop OO considered harmful and move on? Thanks. Do I really need to justify it? Like, okay, to me, this is one of those things where I'm not gonna convince anybody. You're just like f- signaling to the audience that, yeah, you know that, that I wanted to remove it because it felt like I'm it felt like too boring or basic of a take and just like branding myself. But it it's also something that I think, like, the I, what I didn't put on here is functional programming considered harmful, but in Ivan's sense of considered harmful is a good thing because we don't have enough of functional programming. Dijkstra. Uh But I didn't put anything about, like, I wouldn't put if we had a considered helpful or whatever, functional programming considered helpful, even though I like it. I just think, oh, oh it makes us think about our programs in a way that I don't, think is actually helpful to think about for like 99% of cases. I think thinking about our programs as a bunch of nouns, as a bunch of things interacting 
is generally a limiting way of considering stuff. And it's a conceptual framework that asks questions that aren't about your problem and makes you go down these rabbit holes. I would think the same of, even though I think, like, I think you should learn it. I think it's good to go learn. I think it's important, blah, 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 blah. I would say the same, in my opinion, of like the very functional programming, big types sort of thing, like bifunctors, even though I might think it's interesting to go learn those. I don't know that they're really helpful for thinking about your program in a lot of ways, even though I do think monads were helpful for me. Like, I don't know. I, I think OO in particular has a bunch of just cruft that I, I don't think it's helpful to organize your programs around. Having I, I wrote this also because I was working on some Android code where like the Android system web view, you have to subclass the Chrome client and the web client and then the web view, and then you have to make them talk to each other somehow, but indirectly because they can't talk directly to each other. And now I have some state in my UI and I need to propagate it over there, but that means I need a subclass. And it's just like, I don't want to think about I And then you see like the React Native abstraction around this. And all this was just to high, ch- change items in a menu. I had to do like these crazy levels of object. And then the React Native abstraction is menu items equals array. <laughs> the end and they do all the weird nonsense i had to do for me um so yeah i just don't think it's worth it so the natural phrasing of this one would have been to preface this with the but in our culture it might be confusing so i just said office considered harmful so if i say the office like (laughs) am i referring to a tv show i think office like the office people going to an office working on premises like i think that's bad yeah private versus public in a language i also think that whole distinction is bad and languages should not have it everything should be public i think we actually agree on that wow wow nice yeah uh hype considered harmful dykstra (laughs) you might as well just say like falling off of a bicycle and scraping your knee considered harmful dykstra uh i'll i have two left Black boxes considered harmful? Like the recorders? Taking anything as a black box. The the intentional stance of, I will never look into how database is running things because that is too low level for me or that's just a given fact. Nothing I can do about it. I, I, I know this sounds like a silly thing, but I think people practically consider all sorts of things black boxes all the time. And it limits, they do. You you talk to people about um, performance and they'll say, well, you really don't need to worry in most cases about the performance of your code CPU wise because it's almost all IO bound, which is almost always wrong. It, it, it's not IO bound in any strict sense. It's usually some other CPU over there doing things, right? Or it's, you didn't properly access that IO or you didn't cache it or whatever, right? Like it's, it's almost IO is very fast these days. And so like we consider a lot of, or we consider like memory allocation being a black box and we don't look into the memory allocator. There's just a lot of things that we take. Of course, if I said, Oh, you're considering that a black box, you'd be like, Oh no, I'm not like I shouldn't, or I know that's bad, but practically we draw a boundary of, and I won't consider how that works because that's beyond my purview. My uh, incredulity here is only that 
isn't this the same as when I said, hey, not understanding the things that are hiding behind these convenient abstractions that people... You said DevX considered harmful. Yeah, in that, the problem with DevX is it tries to turn things into black boxes that ought not to be black boxes. Yeah, that's just not the way I would put... Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't... If that's all you meant, then I agree. Yeah, that, that was pretty much what I meant. Cool. Though with the more glad I could phrase it better for you. Uh, thank you. Yeah, you do a good service here on the show. We'll get to that. <laughs> All right, last one for me uh, is I think rules are considered harmful. Texture. Uh, okay. All rules. What kind of rules are we talking about? Name a rule. It's harmful. <laughs> <laughs> including the rule that rules are harmful. I, I think, okay, I think uh, setting up rules as like, these are these are the ways we do things. We are, I am making rules, I am instituting them um, on high, you must blank, is nearly always, of course, there's like commonsensical rules, like we won't introduce security, known security vulnerabilities in our software, things that don't need to be stated, right? But, Things that need to be stated, making rules is the wrong solution to the problem you're facing. So you might say, we're not testing enough. I'm going to make a rule that all PRs must add tests or you must never have test coverage go down. It's the wrong solution. It's the wrong way to, to solve the problem you're trying to solve. And so I think we as software engineers lean on rules so often as ways of getting the conduct we want and we forget that, like, it's really about people's thoughts, their desires, their the hearts and minds, uh, which has forever been ruined. Uh, but the hearts and minds of people, right? Like, that is really what we should be caring about because rules don't actually get you the behavior you want in the long run. They just get you the results you're measuring and the, you're almost always aiming at the wrong thing. So if you ever see yourself like, ah, oh, I just want to institute this rule – that to me is a time to reflect and go, what, what's the real problem here and how can I solve it at its root instead of mandating? I'm, uh, yeah, I'm in complete agreement about this. And, and my way of like my little internal mental uh, mnemonic device is that like um, I think of rules and I don't, I don't know that I call them rules, but I think of this sort of bureaucracy mm -hmm. as a kind of scar tissue. It is something that is generated as the result of some trauma and instead of addressing the trauma, you've just kind of scabbed over the the issue. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, that kind of institutional scar tissue is, yeah, I think it's bad. That's that's it? <laughs> Those are yours? Uh, that's mine. Okay, great. Um, well, I'll, I'll bring up my dad. Um, so I have video games considered harmful. That's good dice, Chris. <laughs> Didn't you just not understand this essay at all? Yeah, and my note for it is I waste a lot of time playing video games. You're just listing all good things. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's it? All those substantial things that are things that people probably disagree with in our industry? I'm just going to list... Chocolate considered harmful. Dykstra. Yeah, because I eat too much of it. It's bad for my tummy. Uh, so the next, I don't have enough of it. The next one that I've got. This one's more substantial. This one's not. This one's not a joke. One that is meant to rankle Jimmy. Ah, uh -huh. okay. <clears throat> I have to read this a certain way. It's kind of like your The Office considered harmful. Um, this one, if I don't read it right, it just won't make sense. Um, all things considered, harmful. 
Like all things considered, colon harmful. The radio pro The NPR radio show All Things Considered. Yeah. Is harmful. Why didn't you say all things considered considered harmful? Extra. I'm I'm making the word considered do double duty. Uh all things considered. <clears throat> harmful Dijkstra. which is just my little my little opportunity to work into this episode once again the perennial theme that i think that podcasting as a medium is very different from radio as a medium and i think that there's a lot of podcasts out there that want to emulate radio and i just want to take a moment and say stop uh don't do that podcasting allows you to do things in ways that are wildly and wonderfully different from what radio allowed. And that's due to technology, and that's due to economics, and that's due to the circumstances of production and access to the the means of distribution, and it's due to the expectations of the audience, and it's due to, you know, the fact that one of them is on demand and one of them is broadcast on a schedule, and one of them requires being created in a studio and the other one doesn't. And I, I think that if you have to try and emulate radio, you should try and emulate Radiolab. That if you're going to make a podcast and you want to do something that is NPR adjacent, then then start with Radiolab and go from there. So, all things considered harmful. Uh, you just wanted to make sure that you could have the reading of that, that everything is considered harmful. <laughs> no, uh, but that's a, that's a good reading. It's a very Jimmy reading of that. All, <laughs> All things, things considered, considered harmful. harmful. Yes. And that was Dykstra. Philosophy Corner. Uh, my next one, uh, considered harmful scolds, considered dreadfully uncool. Dykstra. And in reading this, uh, I'll read that Hold again on, so re- you can parse it. That? <laughs> yes. In, and I'll read it again after I, I set up what it is. In, in doing the reading, uh, go to statement considered harmful. Dykstra. And doing some background reading, you of course encounter, like we said at the top of the show, the fact that a whole bunch of people have made their own considered harmfuls. Dykstra. And that one of them is considered harmful, considered harmful. Dykstra. A lot of ink has been spilled bemoaning the considered harmful snow clone genre. Dykstra. Whenever you make a considered harmful, Dykstra. scolds come out of the woodwork to chastise you for calling something harmful, for being incendiary or whatever. And I just wanted to say that uh, sometimes it is fun to be incendiary and to play with this format. And so I think if you're the kind of person out there who's saying, considered harmful, Dykstra. Uh, you are a scold and thus considered harmful scolds considered dreadfully uncool. So what you're saying is you want more people to give considered harmful takes. Dykstra. Yes, yes. That I I like considered harmful as a format. Dykstra. I mean, I do hope that we get some good considered harmful takes. Dykstra. In the Slack or on whatever social media platform of your choosing. I'd love to hear, you know, people disagreeing with us, but also like I want to hear your own takes on what you consider harmful. Yes, that would be great discourse. I'm going to skip um, startups considered harmful. You know what that argument is. I thought about putting that on my list. I did. Uh, I, I was like, should I? Do I really want to? Yeah, but I do think that's a, that the reason I didn't because I think it's a more complicated topic. Yeah, like my my notes for that one go into like UBI and all sorts of other wild tangents. So yeah, I would say it's like, are they really? Because there are some startups. I'm like, I don't consider that harmful. But it's the ecosystem. It's the fact that startups are a necessity within the systems that we have that I consider harmful. 
I would like there to be alternatives to startups that are ways that new ideas can enter the world. Startup monoculture. Yeah, that's that's great. I have uh, academics considered harmful. Dykstra. Have you tried to read papers? <laughs> they're they're boring. Papers are boring. I tried reading a paper by Dykstra and my teeth fell out. Uh, books considered harmful. Dykstra. I have too many of them to read and they keep multiplying. There you go, Jimmy. There's another one of my... Actually, it's a good thing, but I'm saying it's harmful because it's too good. There are people out there in our extended community who do think books are harmful. Because you don't actually remember what you read in them. And so you spend all of this time reading them. And if you ask somebody what you read, you cannot remember it all. And so they're a bad medium for what they're supposed to be doing. I think that's interesting. And I really disagree with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that's not my take. My take is that... You have too many of them yeah. and you want you don't have enough time. I had, to, I had to include that one in my Bring Out Your Dead round because you're, you're convinced that I don't understand what considered harmful means. I'm so shocked that Ivan took the considered harmful meme and turned it on its head. Dykstra! Or like, you know, ripped it into several smaller pieces. And is kind of pushing those pieces around on the table. Like, look at this weird dead thing I found. Um, All right, my new one is allowing your queen to be forked. Considered harmful. It's Gadeister. <laughs> Fork your queen, allowing your queen to be forked. So if you have a queen and then it's like, now we have two queens because we forked this queen. Yeah, see, I do. I've been learning chess lately and I've been playing daily games and I just got a message saying that somebody, so daily games meaning I play or at least one move a day. So that's the time format. And I just got a, uh, a message that someone resigned when I forked their queen. In this case, it wasn't really a fork. It was a more complicated, but it was more fun to say fork and queen. <laughs> so basically what you do is like you move a knight and now the knight is attacking both the king and the queen. Oh, right. And there's no way for you to defend the queen with how the setup is. So they have to move the, uh, the king, the king, to get out of and then you take the, the queen. Cool. I'd never heard that term. That's fun. Very relevant radio. Yeah, this is this is good. Good uh, good at playing chess is good. <laughs> I got three more, a small, a medium, and a large in that order. The small, not supporting us on Patreon, considered reasonable, <laughs> but like, come on, come on. <laughs> that's, the, that's the small. Uh, uh, the, the medium, compilers considered harmful. Ooh. Which is... I don't know why you, Jimmy, would want to work on compiler stuff when what we should actually be building is live systems that you modify from within. You can do that with a compiler. Yeah. And that's, you need a compiler to do that. Uh, so can, do, do are visual languages compiled? So I do think there's a, there needs to be a lot more work on like, what is the right runtime system for the kinds of visual languages you're interested in? Yeah. I do think this is actually a really interesting project because most of them that I've seen, like there is a paper I know that's on a, a visual formalism for visual programs. It's on my list. I haven't looked into it, but I do think it's interesting because one of the things they complain about is that for visual programming languages, people will formalize it using like the Lambda calculus or some other. And they're like, but that isn't itself visual. And so we need a formalism that is visual, which I like the premise of. That seems really interesting. Um, But one of the things, of course, they don't incorporate is like the time dimension that you're looking for. You know, they're looking at more like node wire 
visual programs. And so, yeah, I do think compiling your visual programs into something that's a nice, uh, good executable is something we should have and could use and would be nice. And this is something where I know so little about it that in my explorations of visual programming, I always get to this point where it's like, okay, how do, how do I actually want to construct a set of semantics that are expressed in terms of some meaningful execution concepts and, and have them be, you know, evaluated or what have you like that, that work, I'm always just like, I don't care about that part of it. And so I, I feel the compulsion to just, uh, oh, I'm just going to pick some existing system and build on top of that. But like you say, that existing system will not have been built with the new possibilities that it being visual and temporal afford you. Yeah, I think that this is something that I do think if you go back to making HEST, we should actually try to collaborate on because I, I have some ideas, but I'm not going to build out the user interface part of it because that's too much work for me. Yes. Yep. <laughs> so your take on compilers is Ivan's take on compilers considered harmful, considered harmful. Extra. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Cause yeah. I, yeah. Stop building the kind of compilers that are just for compiling static text languages. And uh, I agree on that. Start, start making some more dynamic systems. Yes. Static systems considered harmful. Extra. I'm all for. So this is my last one. This is a big one. Okay. And it is Jimmy Miller considered harmful. He works on making textual programming better, which, as we've established, is not a thing that we should be doing. Uh, he has positioned himself within the upper tier of technology influencers. So in that <laughs> way, he is a threat. He takes orders from a dog named Lemon. No less than on two occasions during the recording of this very podcast, he left the recording of this influential technology podcast to go serve the needs of his dog lemon he seems almost disarmingly gentle and sweet he doesn't swear on podcasts and it is for this <laughs> list of reasons that we must not trust him and consider him harmful yeah see i asked ivan how goofy his list was and he said not <laughs> uh, i said it a little bit i said a couple of them were kind of weird uh-huh a little bit okay he said not at all if he said not at all, then I would know that they were goofy, which is why he said a little bit. Well, some of them are a little bit goofy. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that one was definitely a, a weird one and definitely not a large one. <laughs> <laughs>